As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Welcome to the On Farm podcast. It's Anna with you this week and I am driving a roughly 25 minute drive um, from from sea level East Lothian, which is where I live, um, just a couple of minutes from the beach, up to into the East Lothian hills. On this journey I'm kind of just reflecting really on how lucky I feel to live in East Lothian. You know, you can be in the sea one minute having a wild swim and then you can be Half an hour later, you can be up among the heather, looking down on uh, what is a beautiful county. Hello, I'm Kelvin Pate, uh, a farm at Akeyside, an upland farm in East Lothian. We run about 700 yows, um, a few cows, and grow about 50 acres of barley, uh, all of which is fed to the livestock. And you were at our house recently, um, NFE Scotland and organised a meeting with uh, the local East Lothian MSP and um, there was a dining room full of farmers talking to him about a whole range of issues but one of the things we talked about quite extensively was bird life and um, how that is um, looked at by policymakers, but also how it's looked at by farmers and that's what kind of gave me the idea I need to go up um, to Akeyside and talk to Kelvin about this because you had produced, and I've got it in front of me, a list of all of the birds that you have seen in recent years. And this list is very extensive. There must be, I have not, haven't counted, but there must be 60 yeah, species about 50 on there, or 60. I reckon. Yeah. Yep. So that's kind of what inspired me. We're now, uh, I'm, I've come to your farm, we're standing in the garden, we can hear birdsong. I can see a bird table. So actually, you're looking after bird life from a kind of ordinary member of the public way with the bird table and the feed, as well as from a farming perspective, I suppose. But let's concentrate on the farming. I suppose, first of all, what what prompted you to type up this list to show to the MSP? I think that that's probably the crux of it here. Why, why do you feel it's important that he and other people understand about this? One of the things that I get very frustrated about is that everybody said nature is a complete disaster. When in fact, things may have changed in some places for the good, some places for the not so good. But I think it's really important to go out and have a look and see what we've got. And there's over 50 species of birds that um, live on this farm. It's not a huge farm, but we've got skylarks that are here all year round. You hear them through the winter and during the summer. They also breed here. We've got flocks of starlings. Last, no, four years ago, we had about 500 of them decided that they wanted to roost in our garden. 
Um, <laughs> and things like sparrows, which are red-listed birds, we've got loads of them. Um, we've got linnets, which I thought were sparrows, uh, until I used a Merlin bird app, which listens to the song and tells you what the birds are. And I think if you're unsure of the birds that are on your farm uh, or if you're just out for a walk in the countryside, use these apps and it gives you an understanding of what's there in the hedgerows, in the trees, um, and even on the ground in front of you. So um, through lockdown, we weren't going anywhere. So I've, I've always had a passion of videoing things and used a GoPro stuck it on the bird table and it was amazing what you could hear and see mm -hmm. and also have it on my helmet going around on the quad bike and see what's on the ground. What's so, that? Oh, there's a blue tit there on there now. Yep. And something else which has just thrown away so quickly that we couldn't oh, identify it. So that kind of says it all really, doesn't it? Yeah, that was a um, siskin, yeah. Ah, right. That's yeah. A... I can, I mean, you can tell by the tone of your voice that you think this is so important to be seeing and, and helping these species, but why specifically did you think it was important that the MSP saw this list? From a farming perspective, I've looked at environmental schemes over the last number of years to see if anything would fit. And they're all point systems and I can't get enough points to get into them. I've always maintained that farmers can feed people and nature and I get, fit, I get paid for feeding people but I don't get paid for feeding nature. And it's something that many farmers would quite happily do if it was a simple tick box exercise that you, like we've done with margins in the past uh, on the arable sector, but just pockets of land on farms, some of them probably already in wooded areas that aren't productive, and, and change what's there so that they can be utilised to make a feed source, a shelter, or a habitat mm -hmm. that nature can thrive on. And at the same time, uh, allow productive farming to carry on. Yeah. Uh, so do you kind of feel then, and, and I'm not going to just target politicians, because actually there are many <laughs> more people who probably have this inaccurate belief, but do you feel as though that farming in general, and we can talk about livestock, arable, other sectors, um, get, gets the blame for this kind of nature crisis, when actually... It's evident here that you're doing everything you can to stop it rather than cause it. I think what's, what's frustrating is nobody really knows why things have changed. But if you look at areas where nature is good, people that are more intelligent than I am from a nature perspective need to go out there and find out why. And then look at the areas where there's very little nature and again, find out if it's because the habitat is it because of other animals in the area or it's because there's no food source? Mm -hmm. If it's a food source, farmers can feed things. That's not an issue. If it's habitat, we can plant hedges, we can plant trees, we can make rough areas uh, for animals to, to live in. If it's too many of one species or not enough of another, there's control measures that could be put in place, something that isn't ever talked about because for the organisations that or charities that try and raise money for their own benefit, and hopefully nature's, that's a very sticky wicket from mm. trying to raise money. But sometimes you can't have every part of Scotland or the UK having every species. There are certain habitats that require or are suited to different species and different plants. Mm. And it's, it's good that you encourage the right ones in the right places.
Can we maybe take a walk? Can you show me? We're lucky. It's a windy day, but we're lucky because it's beautiful sunshine, barely a cloud in the sky. So looking between the trees from yeah, the garden, yeah. you can see some rough ground, effectively. It's yeah. been permanent grassland all my lifetime. How high is that, roughly? It's about 900 feet at the top. Uh -huh. um, it's grass. It's never been reseeded. There are quite a lot of thistles, nettles, other species that I would probably call weeds, but because of it, there is a big population of skylarks that live there all year round. Yeah. Um, sometimes the grass seeds and that seed falls to the ground and I'm sure that's part of the food source that these animals use to take them through the winter. Mm -hmm. It's seen as bad farming, but maybe it's not as bad for nature as we're led to believe. Up on the very top there, um, there are breeding waders. We also have the odd curlew that comes in. I think we had one nest that fledged and, and left the nest. Yeah. We've got a tawny owl in the garden, which we hear quite often. Oh, do you? Wow. Yeah. Um, and so where's that living? Do you know? Or it's hard it's to tell. The tree's just on our left-hand okay. side up here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and down at Roy's next door, there's owls down his direction because at the moment, Every night we hear them screeching back and oh, forward. Oh, yeah, goodness. But, but looking back to the skyline, uh, we also have oyster catchers. Again, not huge numbers, but they're there. Again, yeah. two or three pairs. And probably my favourite bird of all is a peewee. And I have a fantastic video with about 500 of them from yeah. about four years ago. Uh, and they didn't all breed on the farm. We have probably seven or six, seven pairs that breed on the farm. Yeah. But we back on to the Lammermuir Hills and every year they, they flock up together and they often stay on the farm uh, and the farm next door for three or four days before they move on south. Um, and it was quite a sight driving along on a quad bike and 500 birds just take off in front of you. Wow, uh, absolutely yeah, stunning. amazing. Yeah. Now you've got this list here, but you said to me earlier on that actually until quite recently, you know, a bird was a bird was a bird. You know, you, you saw them as we do here, but actually you weren't maybe interested or perhaps you didn't have time or inclination to work out what was what. Why, why do you think your... I know you said lockdown played a part, but why do you think your interest has, has changed in recent years? Just getting older. <laughs> <laughs> More contemplating life in a different way. I think um, during lockdown, we went for a lot of walks down through Salt and Wood, down up through Humbywood and just looking to see what's there. I, I think it's as much frustration. I blame a lot of uh, charities mm -hmm. because they try and, and charities that are trying to raise money for a really good cause to be fair to them, but they use shock tactics to try and make people feel guilty about donating money. Mm -hmm. Where what would be really good is if these charities could fund agriculture directly and if you're going to do something on the ground, you need a land manager to do it for you. Yes, and, and that's I, where I, people like you come in. Yeah. And I, and I think that's something that has kind of missed the boat a wee bit, you know. Mm. It's kind of been a, a blame game in a way that you're responsible and therefore you have to fix it. But actually you're not responsible and yet you're trying to fix it. It's almost like some, you know, there's a problem there that you didn't even cause, but you're the ones that are, are actively looking for a solution. So there's something kind of allied to that, I suppose, is something else that you said earlier on. You know, we're at 900 feet here. I live almost at sea level. We're an arable farm. 
you were saying earlier on that actually arable farmers are getting perhaps more blame than than the livestock guys like you for for this crisis but you think that's an unfair accusation oh definitely um, the arable sector in the last 10 years with their, gra- with their margins around their arable fields putting species down or flowering flowering plants etc uh, nectar producing plants i've done a massive amount and when we were down in your kitchen the other day, I looked out the window a few times. <laughs> well, maybe I should have been listening, but watching three deer trundling past and a flock of birds, which I would have said were sparrows, but I'm not really sure, <laughs> uh, floating around in the fields. And um, East Lothian, when you go around it, um, they've, they've got an East Lothian bird watching page, which I'm a member of. And you look at what the people are taking pictures of. There's a lot of wildlife out there. And I think that's something that, again, just needs to be highlighted as... Mm. You know, it's not all doom and gloom everywhere. When you're trying to improve something, if you start from nothing, you'll struggle to succeed. But if you start from a half pint rather than an empty pint, as, yes. your, as your husband Willie would say, there's hope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and um, I think he will be heartened to know that, that certainly within farming, you recognise that that the arable sector is doing a, making a huge contribution yeah. to bird life, where though some people may perceive that they're not. Mm. You know, Willie's combine is not as efficient as it should be, so there's the odd bit of grain that goes over <laughs> the back. And, like, it's all very well saying agriculture has to get more and more efficient, but the more efficient it gets, the less it leaves behind. So, mm. so the little corners of fields and things like that, that maybe don't need to be harvested. Um, so rather than using the GPS, just leave a wee strip here or there. And it's amazing what that might do to for, for, for wildlife. You are also doing things actively in order to provide habitat for birds. Yeah, um, can you tell me a bit more about that? So there's, there's a bit of open woodland on the farm, which is it's an area of about 30 acres. And that part of the farm isn't grazed through the middle part of the summer. It's grazed through uh, the winter uh, on occasions, but generally speaking, it's only grazed in the autumn, and that allows uh, flowers to come up, seed, and uh, then regrow again, I suppose. Uh, there's cattle in it just now that will rump it down, uh, and once it's down to a certain level, I'll, I'll bring them back out again. Mm-hmm. And other than that, it's used as an outside shed, so in bad weather, the sheep will get chased in there. Um, but from a time perspective, if you lose an animal in there, it takes a while to find it. Um, there's other yeah, bits at yeah. the end of another two woods on the farm that were planted in long grass just to give cover um, and that, that allows animals to feed through the winter um, and the farm's probably got 30 or 40 acres of trees all together in it mm-hmm. uh, and hedgerows which gives cover for wildlife um, I'm, not, I'm not saying I do huge amounts we do control foxes on the farm um, mm-hmm. it's a touchy subject for some I control them or get them controlled for me because I don't want to have an issue at lambing time where I have foxes taking lambs. Yeah, yeah. And if you take one or two every year, you don't get a problem. If you left it for three or four years, uh, this year um, we got six foxes, all one litter. But that six foxes next year would be quite oh, a few more. Goodness, yes. If you're going to have the ground nesting birds and other species like that, you need to find a balance. Uh, there is a place for foxes, mm-hmm. but not too many of them. And I think that's the thing. It's like stocking density. So if you look at 
in the fields, you can see 500 crows. So in farming, we have stocking density, so a cow will eat probably the same as five sheep. Yeah, yeah. So if a crow eats the same as 10 sparrows, for example, so the more crows you have, the less food there's left for sparrows. Mm -hmm. And you could, you could say that for a lot of bird species. Um, and pigeons are another one. Um, because these bigger birds are very mobile, they can move from A to B very quickly. Mm. And I would say that there's more of them today than there was when I was younger. Um, my dad's always said that crows do an awful lot of good because they eat all the slugs and leather jackets out uh, in the fields. Yeah, yeah. So although, generally speaking, farmers are kind of anti-crow, they do have a place as well. Now, we're in East Lothian, not Argyle, um, but you did have an interesting story for me earlier on about a trip to Oban. So tell me about your trip to, to Oban. Well, first of all, it started off doing the North 500, but on the way back down, we had an <laughs> NFU board Work meeting in Oban. <laughs> in Oban. So after seeing the delights of the north of Scotland, we visited a farm who had two or three pairs of white-tailed eagles on his farm. Mm-hmm. And I came away from that meeting going, if they ever get down here, I'll give up sheep farming. Because you spend long hours at lambing time trying to save every lamb on the farm. Um, and for a bird to pop out the sky and take one away for its breakfast every morning. Literally just like that, yeah. Must be A, heart-wrenching, mm-hmm. uh, both from a psychological point of view, but also from a financial point of view. Yeah. And the way to look at it, a fat lamb today, say it's, say it's 100 quid for easy counting, and if a ewe lamb's worth 160 quid. So what you're really looking at is giving up one or two days' labour. So if you were somebody going to work in a cafe, for example, at the end of the year, if somebody came back and said, well, actually, that's 30 lambs that were taken, so that's 30 days of your mm-hmm. um, wages we're going to deduct from your annual salary. Yeah, and none of it's your fault. And none of it, exactly, that's a really important bit. None of (laughs) it's your fault and there's nothing you can do about it. Yes. Um, And the psychological side of that, it must be heartbreaking. Um, It really must be heartbreaking. Not to mention, you know, witnessing it all as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, death's part of farming, but, you know, um, there's some things that you can cope with and some things that are quite, Mm. like, um, yeah. And it's... When people reintroduce things, like, I don't think wolves will ever come back, but I was watching a programme the other day, um, and it was in a park down in England, I think it was on Country File or something like that. But anyway, they say a wolf can run for 80 kilometres to run its prey down. So if you think about it, so if, you, if you've got a, if you put a wolf out in, let's call it, let's call it Glasgow, so it can run to Edinburgh for its lunch. Yes. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's eye-opening, isn't it, really, that kind of stuff. And it just shows that, you know, as we've said, it's consequences for things that you've had no control over in the first place. And I suppose, you know, you, people would argue, oh, but you'll, compensa- you'll be compensated, you'll be compensated. But you can't compensate for everything that you've just described. And, that, and that's the thing, I think. And, and it's then impacting on, um, yes, the bottom line, but it's also impacting upon one of the key goals of farming which is to put food on the table in an efficient manner and in in as cheap a manner as possible because that's what everybody's demanding cost 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 the big thing it also impacts and which for people that don't understand that hill farm was a hefted flock so what that means is when a ewe lamb is born on the hill with its mother it's nursed through the summer 
-hmm. then it gets taken away from its mother to get spained, and then it goes back to the hill, and then it joins up with the same group of sheep that graze that specific part of the hill. Mm -hmm. If you go out and buy in ewe lambs that are not from the farm, they don't have that tie to that specific part yeah, of the hill. Yeah. So rather than grazing it on a low stocking rate over the, let's call it a thousand acres, you'll find that all the sheep will end up in one, or the, or the sheep that are brought in will end up in specific parts of the hill. People go on about overgrazing on hill land. Well, one of the things that stops that is a hefty flock because the animals um, stay on the area that they were born. Yeah, yeah, I remember learning about that many, many years ago, <laughs> too long ago. Now, we're not, we're here to, to largely talk about the, the positive things and we're not here to criticise anybody, but <laughs> are there any, do you think there are any farm management practices that would be an easy win to perhaps tweak shall we say, yeah. in order to improve habitats for, for birds. Have you, have you noticed over the years that, that by doing things differently, things change? Or perhaps you've noticed other people doing things differently for benefit? Because you know, there were some things that we do just because they've always been done and maybe they're not the best idea well, I think from clover, a bird perspective. Clover's got a lot to offer for a lot of wildlife as well as the agricultural side and that it's... Uh, Nitrogen fixing crop, so that reduces my input. Mm -hmm. um, clover, the actual plant itself, some birds eat them, for example, pigeons. Um, and the seeds of clover are quite small, so some of the smaller birds eat the seeds of clover, uh, which gives them a, a food source. Um, so there's one example of something that benefits my productivity, but also gives a feed source. Yes, um, yes. I think um, things like Traditional weeds, um, we've always been drummed in that you should, as far as, for example, thistles are concerned, <clears throat> you cut them in June, they grow again soon, cut them in July, they're sure to die. But the seeds from thistles are really good feed sources for goldfinches. Um, mm. We've got a bit of hawk ground which it's too rough to cut, so it seeds every year. And during the winter, that's where a lot of the goldfinches winter out. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. So things like that, um, bits of ground that are non-productive. Um, one thing in this farm that's spread a lot are wind bushes. Um, we're trying to kind of cut them up a wee bit to break them up. But they're, they're really good cover for animals during harsh weather. I'm not really sure if they do any other good than that, but somebody else might know more about them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. And I have never heard that, what you said about thistles, cut yeah. them in June. Never heard that before. Well, they always, so, uh, they, they just I'm going to again. practice that in my garden because they seem to be never ending. <laughs> and actually, sometimes you just have to stop and listen, don't you? Now I can put you on the spot and ask you what you recognised in amongst all that in terms well, of bird song. There's a blue tit, there's a siskin, and I'm saying that because I can see them. <laughs> <That's> cheating. <laughs> I'm cheating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a sparrow there, but they don't make a huge amount of sound. Ah, uh, right. Unless they're just sitting in the bushes. Um, so actually, we're looking at a nest here. Yeah. Tell me more about that. So they're house martins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the house, our record's 21 nests, but last year... Oh, gosh. Last year we had eight nests of house martins. Yeah. Um, at the steading, 
and a couple of outbuildings will get swallows, but the house martins all nest in the house itself. Uh-huh. And for those that obviously can't see, there's an overhang to our house. Yes, it's a yeah. 1970s house, so it's quite dry. Um, but what was really funny this year, the nest outside the kitchen was taken over by a pair of sparrows. Oh, right. And the house yeah. martins had to wait in the sparrows' fledging before oh, they could before get they in. they could get in, yeah. yeah. So, um, they had uh, so, tenants. Tenants, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Squatters, even. Come, well, coming into the bird table, we get coloured doves. Yeah. Obviously, the postman just arriving. Yeah, pigeons, crows. Um, we have a song thrush, which is great. He's a postman. Hi. <laughs> Uh, We're just recording a podcast. Magic. Oh, okay. Do you want to be in it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't bark when he arrived, you're just barking when he leaves. Yeah, she's funny though. <laughs> There's always an interruption of some sort, so we just take no, it in it's our fine, stride. It's fine. <laughs> so we're talking uh, about the birds are in the garden and a lot yes, of this is uh, yeah. my wife's um passion about watching birds in the garden. Um I think the Amazon man brings bird seed every month. And, uh, <laughs> and I think what it highlights is if you feed things, they come. Yes, um, yes. So things like, like goldfinches, robins, uh, coal tits, uh, tree sparrows. Um, we have a pair of sparrowhawks that hunt in the garden and quite often uh, the coloured doves, I'm afraid, end up being lunch. Uh, yeah, and some of the yeah. smaller birds as well, especially ones that are just fledged. For the first time this year, I've had magpies in the garden. You mentioned a sparrowhawk there, and you had a good story about the, how your local sparrowhawk yeah. um, has adapted its behaviour to human behaviour in quite an interesting way. Can you tell me about that? Well, <clears throat> it's done it with me before, but other, uh, yesterday, um, my wife was driving down the road, and the sparrowhawk was flying about 20 feet in front of the, the car bumper, and... Her theory was, and it's, I've never heard this before, it was waiting on the car disturbing the birds in the hedgerows because there's hawthorn hedges down both sides of the road and when it saw something, it flicked out and grabbed a hold of it. Yeah, um, amazing. So that's a bird adapting to its natural environment, yeah. which is a car going up this and down car. the road. Yes. Yep. And you've got, you've got ducks, mallard yeah. ducks on that list. Um, do you have a pond? Wait, where, no, we where have a puddle. They, you have a puddle? We have a puddle just at the farm. Just at the doors a into the steadings, yeah, and they're quite quite cocky. The two ducks they come into my barley and eat some barley, <laughs> and then they go and have a bath and fly off again. Oh, um, but uh, we've got quite a few buzzards up the top of the farm uh-huh. uh, as well. Uh, not as many as there used to be. There's probably there's two breeding pairs on the farm, and altogether there might be six or seven altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've touched on this a bit, but it might be interesting to elaborate. You know, uh, we're not here to, to bash anybody, but um, policy making, you know, there, there was a, we touched on both in relation to a whole range of things, in relation to planning and all sorts of things that, that aren't connected to bird life. But we talked at the MSP meeting about policy making and how sometimes it's, you know, one. Uh, one policymaker doesn't consult with the others and 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 think I think John Kinnaird said it's all about consequences you know if you create a policy that's designed to do one thing you've got to think about the consequences and what else it may also do positive or negative um what what do you think might might need to change to enable farming to 
um, do even more to, to, to contribute in a positive way towards not just bird life, but I suppose wildlife in general. Oh, that was a good one. Well, what was that one, Kelvin? Did you hear that? Yeah, it was a chaffinger. Uh, Somebody will tell me it's not, but probably won't. <laughs> it was a chaffinger. It might honestly. be a chaffinger. <laughs> <laughs> Send us a tweet if you disagree. <laughs> so, uh, one, one other thing that always hacks me off a wee bit is, you know, everybody says you have to do X, Y and Z, but if you're not profitable, you can't do X, Y and Z. Yes, you can't and, even do and, X. And, and, yeah. and, and I think, you know, whether it's producing beef, producing lamb, producing grain to produce bread, um, that part of farming has to stay profitable mm-hmm. because without it, everything else falls, falls to pieces. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, people can say what they like, but... Think about you take your car to the garage to put petrol in it, for example. If you don't have money to put petrol in it, you're walking to work. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get to work, you don't get paid. So it's an ever-decreasing yes. circle. Yes. It's a wee bit the same, I suppose, with systems and agriculture. There has to be enough space for everything to get a little bit. Um, yes. And yes. I, I think I saw... a a picture of how much money goes to the different people for 10 euros worth of beef it was. And mm. I think the farmer got 2 euros 90. The processor got roughly the same and then the retailer got the rest. Yeah. yeah. And there's that something wrong. Issue. There's yes. something wrong with food production when you have to keep something for 2 years to get 30%. Yeah. Yeah. I'm changing the way I farm this year. The bulls didn't go out, so I'll not have any beef in two years' time. A, I'm getting older, and I'm trying to make life a wee bit simpler. I don't know if sheep are simpler, but um, <laughs> they're easier, they're smaller to work with. Things. Yeah, That's it. yeah. Um, but it's the same, and it's what, back what you said before, it's the same principle. It's no farmers, no food. Mm-hmm. But likewise, no farmers, no birds, you know, in the context of today. If you... Again, not quite that black and white, but if you're not grazing the land, if you're not changing or, or adapting your management, um, land management in order to help these species, eventually they'll decline again because, because what's being done is, in, is to their benefit. Um, so, so if the farmers aren't, as you say, aren't, don't have the money to put into some of this activity, then the wildlife is not going to benefit as a result. What I would say is, you know, there's lots of buzzwords kicking about. Precision farming's one. Mm. Rewilding's another one. And if you, look at yeah. the, if you look at the two of them in context, why would you just leave a piece of land to do whatever happens in the future to it when you can work out what you're trying to achieve and probably achieve it relatively quickly by direct drilling certain species into a grassland cover adding some strips of trees which act as shelter. Um, If you look up there, 20 odd years ago, there were two hawthorn hedges planted, Uh 15 metres apart, and then native species up the middle. And it's one of the best shelter belts uh, that you you could ever see. And it's got natural plants in the middle for for wildlife, if they so wish to be up there. And it's a strip strip of wood, or a strip of hedge, uh, and trees that you can see from virtually everywhere in East Lothian. Um, wow. And Hawthorne, it's, it's never been cut, so there's berries on it for the winter yeah. as well. Yeah. So little things like that. Um, traditionally, 
you wouldn't plant a, a hawthorn hedge on a, on a farm because when you cut them, the thorns go into the sheep's feet and make mm. them lame. But if mm. you don't cut them, the thorns no don't problem. fall off. Yes. Yeah. So that's yeah. just a different perspective. Yeah, true. So, yeah, Kelvin, just kind of one final thing, I suppose. Um, our listeners are a real mix of people from rural life and, and urbanites. Um, is there anything kind of final that you think be worth us saying? I think for anybody that's out in the countryside, just to look what's around them. Like, use bird apps, use your camera, your mm-hmm. phone. If you can work the Zoom, it helps. <laughs> um, but and there's, you know, I, I'm actually going to go away. My, my children, when we go on a walk, they kind of love a purpose rather than just walking. And I think I'm going to go home and say, right, you know, this is something we can do on the walk today. We're going to see how many different birds we can spot or how many different sounds we can hear. Yeah. And actually, you can then engage on social media or Facebook groups. You can even get involved, I suppose, in, in charity uh, bird surveys. But I'm certainly going to encourage my kids just to, yeah, as you say, kind of open their eyes a bit more and... They love a tick list, so I'm going to give think, them a tick I think list. it's really good for people that have like an interest in what's there to mm-hmm. try and categorise it. When we look at what's on the ground, it's easier to make it better if we know what's actually there. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the crux of it, isn't it, really? So thank you very much there to Kelvin Pate. I had a lovely time. It was glorious blue sky up near the Lammermuirs and uh, it's always nice to escape from your office or your desk. So that's it for this week. Uh, Thank you as ever to our loyal sponsors, Gillespie McAndrew, and we'll be back with you again next week. 